You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So we're continuing in uh, in our journey through uh, some of Abraham Joshua Heschel's writings about prayer, um, and uh, some some somewhat by special request, uh, and somewhat by the demands of this material in particular, we're going to go a little bit slower uh, through it today, uh, um, because it, I mentioned this the last time we studied together, that, uh, that, that Heschel was not shy about mixing metaphors. And sometimes within the course of a very short essay, um, we'll, we'll really, you know, um, uh, seemingly, you know, hop from one image to another image and, uh, and, and, and jump from, uh, one idea to the next. Um, and, and the move is so subtle that you might miss it. I mean, it's just, it feels like one part of one continuous, uh, uh, narrative. Uh, but the, but the, uh, logical shift will be, I mean, it'll be connected, but it'll be very radical. So I, I want to focus uh, today, um, depending on our time, um, on, on the first two paragraphs here, because starting the third paragraph, I think that um, that he takes the idea that he introduces in the first couple paragraphs, he takes it in a, a different direction altogether. Um, but the question that he raises, I think, in the first couple paragraphs is one that I think many of us probably have thought at one point or another. Um, which is some variation of um, uh, why didn't my prayer work? Or why didn't I get anything out of this prayer experience? Why didn't I get anything out of going to... I went to synagogue, you know, people say that it's like, it's, it's good for you, you know, so, uh, and you'll feel better if you do, or you'll, uh, or you'll have a spiritual connection, or you'll, you know, become enlightened, or you'll have an epiphany, whatever, you'll, you'll have this, like, flash of insight, or, uh, or, or, uh, or, or soulfulness, if you, if you just go and pray a little bit, um, and I went to synagogue, and nothing happened. Right? Uh, and, uh, and, so, so that I imagine, I mean, it certainly has happened to me. Um, I imagine it's happened to some of you. I hear it from people uh, who it's happened to uh, a lot. They, you know, say like, you know, I, uh, my, you know, someone said, you know, you're, you're looking for spirituality, go to synagogue. I went to synagogue and nothing happened, right? Um, okay, so, and then it's compounded, and this is where Heschel's going to start. It's compounded by the fact that you look at uh, other people who are in synagogue, who who seem to know what they're doing, who seem to be moved by what they're doing. It's especially true if you go to a uh, to an, uh, a synagogue in the non-liberal Jewish world. If you go to an Orthodox synagogue, for example, you like look around and say, "Well, everyone there is 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 like totally into it. They like totally get it. They're having these. Uh, they're having like every moment is infused with uh, with inter with with." Uh, Interaction and intimacy with the divine, um, and I walk in there and I, you know, open up the prayer book and I and I and I and I uh, try to join in, and the same thing doesn't happen to me. So, that's where he starts. In those souls, I'm, I'm at uh, uh, the top of page nine. Man's ultimate aspiration. In those souls, in which prayer is a rare flower, enchanting, surprising. It seems to come to pass by the lucky chance of misfortune, as an inevitable or adventurous byproduct of affliction. 
And so, what he's saying there... Um, is this English? <laughs> it is English. It's adventitious. Uh, it's, uh, adventitious. Did I, what did I say? I think I said adventitious. No, you said adventitious. Uh, adventitious. Um, so, look that up. Uh, every year, the Oxford uh, Dictionary has a new uh, like word of the year, English word of the year. This year, it's, uh, it's GIF, like G-I-F. Um, which is apparently a computer term of, uh, of, of like a small video file, um, yeah. Um, and uh, um, so, so I think next year's is probably going to be adventitious. Um, <laughs> they might have a Heschel section. So, the, it's when I when I was at uh, JTS and I was studying with uh, um, uh, Professor Sharon Keller. She taught a class on Ezekiel, um, and if you ever study Ezekiel, this will ring true for you. Uh, that you know, we we spent probably the majority of the semester on the first two verses of Ezekiel or three verses of Ezekiel. Um, then I had to write a paper on the last like ten chapters of Ezekiel. But the 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 the, the course itself was on the first like three verses. And uh, and and what she and I remember saying she's like, I know what all these words mean. I just don't know what they mean when they're together. Right. Um, so uh, so you have a little bit of that going on here. But I think what he's saying here, in some ways, um, is uh, is the old adage: "There's no atheists in foxholes." In other words, it's easy to pray or it seems easy to pray, when you have a real powerful motivation to pray. When something painful has happened to you in your life. When you have someone who is ill that you're praying for. When, um, when, you're, when you're in desperate need of something. Right? So it's the adventitious byproduct of affliction. Right? It's this, you know, it just naturally comes out when, uh, when, when you're hurt. But suffering is not the source of prayer. A motive does not bring about an act as a cause produces an effect. It merely stimulates the potential into becoming an actuality. In other words, um, suffering itself doesn't cause you to pray. It might give you the motivation to engage in the act of prayer, but there's not a direct cause and effect between suffering and prayer, um, which means that there's an additional step even those people who are praying passionately out of affliction are taking. Peril or want may clear the ground for its growth, stubbing up the weeds of self-assurance, ridding the heart of the hard and the obdurate, but it can never raise prayer. In other words, when you, you know, if someone's ill, that might give you motivation to prayer, but it's not going to actually cause you to pray, right? So there's a difference between uh, motive and cause. But here's where he goes with this. To a farmer about to prepare a seedbed, the prerequisite for his undertaking is not the accidental need of a crop, His need of food does not endow him with skill in cultivating the earth. It merely affords the stimulus and purpose for his undertaking. Right, so here's what he says. Person who who has a who has a need is is hurting has someone to pray for for healing. Um, uh, They have to take the step of actually praying. Right, and that that immediate need might clear the ground. It might uh, it might uh, knock away the normal barriers to pray. But he still has to actually engage in the act of prayer. Right. Similarly, if I am hungry, that doesn't mean that I can magically conjure up food. 
Right? My hunger doesn't produce food. My hunger doesn't grow crops. Right? My hunger might motivate me to grow crops. My hunger might motivate me to go to the grocery store. Right? But I still have to get in the car. Right? I still have to turn the ignition. I still have to drive to Acme. Or if I'm living in a society where there are no grocery stores, I still have to till the soil. I still have to plant the seeds. I still have to uh, uh, water them or, or irrigate the crops or wait for rain to fall. Um, I still have to wait for the crops to grow. So uh, there's all of these steps even after the motivation is there. And what he says I think is really crucial, and that's why I love the farming metaphor here, it requires skill. Right, so the people who we experience as, as being quote-unquote the most successful in prayer, right, we see as getting the most out of prayer, the reason is uh, not only the motivations they have to pray, which may or may not exist, but what's even more important than that is the skill that they have for prayer. Right? Just like, it, just like if I, even if I'm really hungry, I have no idea how to grow a crop. So it's not going to help me in my hunger. Right? So even if I'm really hurt, and I want to pray out to God, if I don't know how to do it, it's not going to be effective. That's what he's saying. And that, I think, is a, a, a beautiful image to think about. In what ways is prayer, and the act of Jewish prayer, in what ways is it like farming? In what ways it, is it farming in the sense that it... Hold on one second, let me just finish this off. In one, it, it, like farming in the sense that it... it, it uh, um, uh, requires a, a, a certain skill set to be able to engage in, uh, and in what way is it like farming in the sense uh, that uh, that uh, its um, its results are not always immediately apparent, um, right? That uh, that you could plant the seeds in prayer, but you may have to wait months or years for those seeds to grow into uh, something that you can harvest. Oh, Alan. Well, something you said before, I can't say that just because a person doesn't have the skill that they feel compelled to reach out to God, that it won't work. Mm -hmm. That's true, right? Just like I could throw seeds in the ground and uh, and uh, and and rain will fall and. Uh, well, it's different. Why is it different? Because, um, well. If you throw the seeds on the ground because you need to eat, and you, you do it for that reason, well, I see what you're saying, but it's the old question about whether um, music or art is best when it comes from a skill developed on and and um, and um, or whether it's um, best when it just comes. Some people just naturally. You understand what I'm saying. I do. Um, so it is, and it, it, it is a really good point. Uh, you know, and, and, and um, uh, on the one hand, right, um, what, I was, what I was getting at before, it may have been a little too glib, is that, um, is that um, this is, so I remember this as being part of an old Peanuts cartoon, but I saw David Wolpe um, uh, wrote on his, uh, Rabbi Wolpe wrote on his Facebook page um, that it was a Hasidic story. And I'm not sure if the Hasidic story got it from Peanuts or if Peanuts got it from the Hasidic story, um, or if they just sort of independently exist. But the, the idea is, uh, is like you shoot an arrow 
um, at uh, at the wall and draw the bullseye around the arrow. Um, you know, so someone goes to a uh, a barn and they see lots of uh, bullseyes on the barn with lots of arrows right in the middle of the bullseye. And so this is amazing. How did you do it? And the guy says, "Well, it's easy. Let me show you." And he takes his arrow and he shoots it at the, the wall and he goes and draws a bullseye around it. And that's how you do. It. So um, in a way, that's part of how I th- how I was in- experiencing what you were saying. That a lot of us approach prayer and we don't really because we don't really know what we're doing. We we but we want to hit a bullseye, so we'll so um, so we'll just like fire arrows at the wall, and uh, and and sometimes we'll we'll feel compelled to the, to uh, paint a bullseye around them, right? So that's what I was saying about crops, right? I, I understand yeah, what you're yeah. saying, but I disagree. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, the I mean the the other thing that I think is um, the, the what you're saying is really I mean I'm not. I, um, uh, and that's why I was saying about uh, about you know um, is it really is it analogous to uh, to the fact that uh, even if I'm not a skilled farmer I could throw seeds uh, in the soil and sometimes they'll grow something um, even if I don't really know what I'm doing um, and sometimes they won't um, but in terms of the art thing I mean it's a really interesting point um, does it count as art if it is only semi intentional. In other words, I, I intend to pour out my emotions, um, but I but I don't really know how to do it in a way that could be seen or or heard or properly experienced in, uh, by others, right? So um, uh, so it's a, so you know so if uh, uh, you ever seen Jackson Pollock painting, um, uh, it gives the impression that it's just a guy pouring paint on a canvas, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so spray gun. watching if you wa- ever watch videos of his process, it seems extraordinarily intentional. Every paint mark, every glob, every splatter—it um, may not be one hundred percent exactly where he wanted it to land, um, but the but the uh, but but the process of doing it. Um, he had a he I think always had a sense of what he wanted his end product exactly to look like, and it was and it was carefully crafted. It wasn't just like it w- it wasn't just like oh I'm angry at the world right now, so I'm going to splatter some paint on a can. I mean, he probably did that too, um, uh, but the uh, right so so even very abstract art like that um, is uh, it, it just has the illusion of being um, of being not intentional, and if it and the and the the um, the things that uh, that really are just reflections of people sort of pouring out. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I would uh, write poetry, but it was really just like me, like you know, journaling. Um, it was like word vomit on on a page, um, and. Uh, not surprisingly, many other people who I showed those poems to did not think that they were art. Right? Um, so, uh, so, but it is. So, it's a good question. I mean, can can prayer be just the outpouring of uh, of of your feelings or emotions, and do, is that effective? Does that work? Two things. One of them is that I've seen uh, the film of Pollock and his painting. And it seems like it is extremely reactive. Mm-hmm. In other words, the whole process, he is reacting to what he has done, and it inspires him mm. to do more. Mm. So I think that that is kind of an element of spontaneous prayer, if you will. Mm. The other thing is that sometimes I think that skill gets in the way of prayer. Mm. 
because if we are just saying the Hebrew words as quickly as we can to to we have a meeting after you know whatever it is, yeah. uh, sometimes the skill gets in the way of the intention. Yeah, although, you know, so, th- so this is a, a, a I'm, I'm glad you raised that point. I mean, I, I guess the question that I have is, um, does ability to read Hebrew quickly make you skilled at prayer? Um, or does it just make you a skilled Hebrew reader? It helps you get to the end of the prayer faster. It certainly yeah. does that. But, uh, exactly. but that There's no Hebrew in it. I mean, to me, that doesn't uh, connote uh, Kavanah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, that's yeah. right. Well, so um, that—that's a. I mean, that's I think at the core of it. So, what what does it mean to be skilled at prayer? Does it mean that you have a, have the technical expertise? Uh, you can read the words. You know when to say them. You know what to say out loud. You know when to bow. You know when to stand, etc. Um, or is a skilled prayer that you uh, that that you know um, the proper. Um, the, the proper experience that you should be having when when you pray and when you go to pray, you you are able to conjure that kind of experience. I, one thing I haven't heard us really talk about is understanding the prayers, what they mean. A lot of people can read Hebrew and they blow through, but I, I wonder whether they are really experiencing the intention behind the Hebrew, the words themselves. You know, moving from you know the Hallelujah phase into you know Shema, all, all of those transitions and the impact it should have on you. Yeah. Well, I think Mindy, that's kind of the purpose of these sessions because so many of us don't know he no seriously right. can read Hebrew, don't don't understand it at the same speed at which we understand English, and the idea I think of them, the learnings that Rabbi Knopf does, Rabbi Kiefer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that hopefully it becomes a little more a su- yeah, well, I'm going to say to look subconscious, so as you are reading in Hebrew, somewhere your subconscious is kind of like, yeah, I remember Rabbi Knopf talked about blah, blah, blah. Whatever, you know, you know, that's, that. a, that's an interesting comment, because you sure can't blow through this in English in a language that you do understand. <laughs> that's true. So you're trying to get to the meaning. and um, <clears throat> Go ahead. I have very mixed feelings about this particular topic, because I don't see anything wrong with blowing through it. I mean, it is part of your, it's intended to be part of your daily routine uh-huh. and not be the entire day. I think you're supposed to have that. <coughs> so, uh, Elena, yeah. I agree with Mindy because, like, I know I don't, like, some people might not read Hebrew that well, and they're, like, thinking about what's going on. What does this prayer really mean to them? Mm-hmm. Good. You talk about the skill. If there's a problem that one faces, you, you skillfully do your best to, to meet the problem. If you're hungry, you skillfully plant the seed. You do things physically, they're the skills involved. After you've skillfully done to the best of your ability, it's now out of your hands. And that's where you hope. It's out of my hands. I now I have to have hope that I will have the weather that will be blessed, and we'll have a, a good harvest. And that's where the prayer comes in, mm-hmm. is the ability to allow you to express your hope for it, rather than just sitting like a dummy and say, it's out of my hands, I'm not going to go sleep and, and wait for it. You're going to hope. And, and, and then, as far as uh, organized prayer, 
when a person is out on a field and he's living alone and he has need to hope, there, there's, there's a place to express your awe. <laughs> and you will go outside in the morning and what's the, the most, when I say awe, an, uh, an awe-filling moment is when the sun is rising. So he will naturally go out to the place where, where it's the most awe-inspiring thing there is, is to watch the sun rise. And so it's just natural for that. But if a person is in darkness, and for some reason he's in solitary confinement, he doesn't know day from night, now there has to be something that he can still hope for in a way that makes sense to him. And, uh, and okay, I'm, I'm talking too much, but I, I just wanted to, to mention that, that, that the opportunity to, to uh, uh, express yourself when, when, when you're beyond the natural awe-inspiring moment, yeah. that's where these additional uh, things that you might do... Uh, so uh, to give you the hope. So, the, so what you're saying is really extraordinary and very Heschel, right? So Heschel would say uh, that part part of the the reason of the routine of prayer is to hold on to. Uh, that awe and that wonder, even in moments where you're not experiencing it, right? When you're where you're in the dark confines of solitary confinement, right? You pray because it recalls the sunrise, right? And uh, and it and it holds on to that sense of awe and that sense of wonder, um, and it enables you to see the world regardless of where you are and what you're actually experiencing um, in, uh, in 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 wondrous ways. The other thing that I that I uh, heard what you said, which is um, so uh, another colleague of mine, Rabbi Menachem Creditor, um, I get a lot of Torah from Facebook, and, uh, and uh, Rabbi Menachem Creditor uh, Zuckerberg uh, said, what's that? I bet Zuckerberg never realized that. No, but uh, <laughs> it's good, he's a good Jew. So, uh, he would, because it is his sense of community. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Rabbi uh, Menachem Creditor wrote, you know, the, there's the famous story in the Talmud of uh, uh, the convert who goes to Hillel and says, teach me the Torah on one foot, and Hillel says, what's hateful you, to you, don't do to your fellow, the rest is commentary, go and learn. So he said what his would be is never lose hope. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. But that was an interesting idea. I, I didn't fully process it. But in a way, that, that I heard that in what you're saying. In other words, one of the points of prayer is even if you're really skilled at it, even if you know exactly what you're doing, even if you're doing it at the right time, you know the words, and you have the proper intentions, you still have to give hope that it's going to be effective. Right? There still has to be a, there, there's a, Heschel would call it, there's an audacity to prayer. Right, and the audacity um, is that uh, is that is that you think that, that that it might have impact. You don't know whether it's going to. Even if you really know how to farm, you don't know for a fact that the crops are going to grow. There's a real fragility to it. Um, uh, so, the, and the other thing I wanted to say, which is about the uh, the the Hebrew and English and knowing what the meaning of the prayers is. Um, so, Mindy, I want to say I want to say yes, but right, and uh, so the. Um, on the one hand, there is an incredible artfulness um, and mastery to, uh, uh, to to whoever compiled our prayer book. The way they did it is just extraordinarily artful. Um, and if you are able to be cognizant of what the prayers mean and why they're arranged in a certain way, and uh, and and to kind of float with where the Sidor is trying to take you, um, it from a um, uh, uh, um, from a cognitive level, um, then that's then that's extraordinary. But sometimes I think that actually the meanings of the prayers can be barriers. One, because if you spend too much time thinking about the meaning of the prayer, 
you're going to run well over the time of, uh, of being in prayer service. You're, you're not going to actually get to pray. Um, but the other is, I know Israelis that say, you know, I wish that the Sidor was not in Hebrew. Right? Because I wish I didn't know what it meant. Because knowing what it means gets in the way of my prayer. And, uh, and I was listening to uh, um, Rabbi Brad Arts in one of his podcasts. He was talking about uh, I was preparing for a, a class I led with the collaborative on Monday night, um, and the class was praying to the God you actually believe in, which I actually ended up being praying to the God I actually believe in, which is what I taught about. Um, but uh, in pre- preparing for the class, I was listening to Rabbi Artson, and uh, and someone asked him a question when he was talking about prayer about um, you know they uh, um, uh, they 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 spend their time in services reading the English of the prayers because they don't know the Hebrew, uh, and the English to them is. is a different kind of barrier, but a barrier nonetheless to their prayer because they're reading words and it's stilted language and they don't really believe what they're saying. Um, and so Rabbi Artson said uh, that, uh, um, that, that the way he resolved that for himself was that he bought an all-Hebrew Sidor. Um, and by buying an all-Hebrew Sidor, um, he didn't have to worry about what the prayers meant. He could just use the words. Sometimes the words would speak to him, and sometimes they'd just be a runway for his own praying. Um, so that means a couple of things. I mean, one, it means that you have to learn Hebrew. Um, or you get a transliterated Sidor without a translation, and you just read the transliteration. Um, but uh, or, 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 or you learn Hebrew. Um, you learn how to read Hebrew, but not necessarily how to understand Hebrew. Um, and, uh, and, and so I thought that that was... Um, in some ways, a very intuitive answer, in some ways, very radical answer. Um, because um, when we're reading a book, um, we assume we're supposed to be able to know what it means and summarize it and give a book report about it. Um, but I guess the question is, is, is the fact that our prayer is in a book um, and we open it and we read it every day, um, does, that, um, does that just give us the illusion that what we're doing is reading a book when actually we're supposed to be praying? Um, so, and then I had another point, but I forgot what the other point was. So, um, did you, you look like you had a response. No, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, personally, I have some Hebrew, and I, I work around Shoresh, which are the word roots, and so I know that a word is related, and I'm always looking for those things. And I find that the English translation is actually very poor yeah. and frustrating and, and short of the beautiful meaning. Absolutely, so. absolutely. It, so. it is the words are so much more meaningful in um, in Hebrew. Right. But I'm sure that the melody and all these things resonate from from childhood and all the, that. That, that yeah. all has meaning too. Right. You know, academically, we've decided not for day school, but certainly in the afternoon in religious schools, we teach liturgical skills and we teach sufficient Hebrew and theory to be able to read the Siddur. So you know. That's where you are in a lot of ways. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I'll be Just when you go to the opera, or at least when I go, I think sometimes the subtitles get in the way of enjoying the opera. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the other, but the other, but for I, me, I don't know if your experience is like this, but for me, I get much more, uh, I mean, I've never actually gone to the opera, but let's say Shakespeare, <laughs> right? I get much more, because I, I don't really understand what they're saying in most Shakespeare plays either, but I get much more out of the experience of going to Shakespeare when I adequately prepare myself for the show, right? So when I, uh, when, when I read Hamlet beforehand, when I 
study interpretations of it beforehand, when I understand the, 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 the myriad references in my own <coughs> pop cultural experience to the show, I have a much richer experience when I go to see it. Right? And so I think that the same is true of prayer too, and that's what he's saying here, right? That those are some of the skills, not only with the language, but yeah. I think the two of you are just summing up exactly the opposites, and they're both. Oh. And they're both <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they're both valid. I mean, if you prepare for something, then you really understand what it's about. But um, I grew up with a lot of opera. And I couldn't have cared less what the story was about. It was just the voice and the beauty and all that stuff. Mm. So, and well, that, and was, move, that was and a it, lot more valid does, for and me. And it does move you without knowing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, okay, so maybe you are saying the exact opposite thing, because for me, it, 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 it moves me to sleep. But so anyway, well, uh, let, let me just uh, uh, in like two seconds, let me just finish this paragraph. Um, the same principle applies to prayer. The natural loyalty of living, fertilized by faith, saved through a lifetime, is the soil on which prayer can grow. Laden with secret fertility and patient discreetness concerning things to be and to, things to be and things forever unknown. The soil of the soul nourishes and holds the roots of prayer, but the soil by itself does not produce crops. There must also be the idea of prayer to make the soul yield its amazing fruit. Have a great day.